Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Shortly after college, I had a car that I loved. It wasn't anything fancy. It was a hand-me-down, but it was a nice car. It was a Toyota Tercel. It was a four-door crank windows, you know, nothing fancy about it, but I loved the car. It looked great. Had a great paint job, kept it clean, polished, shining, kept the inside nice and clean, smelled nice. I had an air freshener, Monty, I put on the mirror. It was really great. Enjoyed the car. And I went driving one day and on the side of the road, I found myself broken down. I'm moving along and all of a sudden, everything just kind of locks up. I'm on the side of the road and the, the car is billowing with smoke from underneath the hood. And of course, I don't know what is happening. I'm not really a mechanic. I, I call my father-in-law who lives nearby. I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. He's nearby. And, and he comes and he, he tows me with a rope that's like that long to a guy about 30 miles away in Fountain City because he knows a guy. And all the way there, being pulled by that rope like a shoestring, I rode the brakes the entire time. I'm smelling rubber burn. All of my brake pads are just spinning. Now I get to the place where it's time to repair the car or see what kind of damage there was under the hood and there's black dust all over my wheel wells from having burned all of my my brakes out. Well, I get there and my father-in-law, after they look under the hood, says to me, when was the last time you checked your oil? To which I then, of course, said, oil. <laughs> Turns out that it had a slow leak in it for a long time and I didn't know it and I had been driving it with no oil for a long time and I busted a head gasket. The, the car was trashed, it was toast, it was done. Ticket please, check please. And I say that this morning to say this, I know with certainty that there's somebody who's come here today and you know exactly what that feels like. Because you have become good like many of us and making sure that everything on the outside of the vehicle looks good. It looks like it's in fine working condition. It shines, it smells nice, it looks like it runs perfectly, and all the while you know what it's like to look good on the outside and be slowly dying inside. Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, said Jesus, and my burden is light. Beloved, you were meant for more than running on empty. When God thought you were a good idea and imagined you into existence, God desired that you would live a life of contentment and wholeness, a life of purpose and meaning, a life of true joy that is never tethered to your circumstances but tethered to a relationship that gives you joy day by day from the rising of the sun until the setting of the same. You were meant for more. That's why he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know that a yoke obviously is a, it's a tool that you, you put two beasts of burden side by side in a yoke in order to pull off a job. Sometimes it's to plow a field, other times it's to haul a heavy load. But the yoke in the first century was more than just an instrument of agriculture. The yoke in the first century was also a metaphor. The law of Moses was called the yoke. You were to wear the law upon your heart so that it might guide you to plow lines that are straight and live a life that is worthy. Rabbis had what was known as their own personal yoke, their own way of life, their own style of being alive. And so when rabbis would have students follow them, they would take the yoke of the rabbi and take that pattern of life, that rhythm to live by, and order it in such a way that they lived like their rabbi. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. But for many years, I was always confused about that passage of Scripture because Jesus had a yoke that killed him. Was his yoke not the cross? Was his burden not the weight of the sin of the world that he he lugged up the hill called Calvary and was crucified to free us from. How light can your load be, Jesus? How easy is your burden? And then I realized that farmers will do a thing with yokes. Sometimes a farmer will take a weaker ox or donkey and yoke that weaker, smaller, a less experienced donkey or ox to one that was stronger, larger, more experienced. And, and the young yoked oxen, well, they would learn by following the way of the older, stronger, more experienced ox. But the trouble was the older ox, the stronger ox, is the one who carried the bulk of the, the burden. So when Jesus says, to you, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying, I want to carry the greater portion of the burden while you learn to live free. 
That invitation is for every single person in this room. Somebody here needs to learn something about how to unhitch yourself from yokes that take your life long enough to hitch yourself to the only yoke that can give you life. Everybody's invited to break every yoke of slavery and take on the yoke of freedom in Jesus Christ. Everybody. Even pastors. Even pastors. Yeah. You know, for a little over 10 years now, I've had the high honor of shepherding this congregation, of loving you into life as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And along the way, I have attempted to say to you that vulnerability is not a weakness, that vulnerability is a strength contrary to every message we hear in any of these zip codes we live in around here. Vulnerability is not a weakness, but a strength. My strength is made perfect in your weakness, we are told. I've tried to live by the maxim that you lead people from your scars and not from your wounds. Because scars are those wounds that have healed up long enough for you to point to them and tell a story about those scars. Wounds are still open and gaping and bleeding and nobody wants to be hemorrhaged on, right? I wonder if I might share a little bit of both today. I wonder if you can handle a little pastoral vulnerability. Because the truth of the matter is, my beloved sisters and brothers, your pastor is tired. Tired. And by tired, I don't mean I need a nap. I could use one of those too. I mean, I am exhausted at a different level. I am existentially exhausted. And if I were telling you the truth, so while I'm at it, I might as well. I will tell you that I have been near the edge of burnout since before the pandemic. Now, last month in March, I privately celebrated the 30th anniversary of my calling into ministry. Last month, it was 30 years ago when I was licensed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I said yes to that calling, I knew that it would be a life of sacrifice in some way. I knew that it would cost something. It ought to cost something. What I didn't know was the multiplicity of ways in which that exhaustion and that costliness can find its expression in hidden places, too deep for words. The last several weeks, I have been immersing myself in some research from some uh, groups that have my utmost respect, Barna Group. Barna is one of those groups along with, you know, Pew and Gallup and the Public Religion Research Institute who have high credibility and respectability in their research methodologies. And Barna studies patterns in church life. And in, in the last seven years, they have been studying patterns in the pandemic of pastoral burnout across our nation. 
It has been referred to by some as the great pastoral exodus. And I wonder if I might share just three data points with you this morning, not to simply give you cold, hard facts, data points, research, but simply to frame with a wider body of research the one thing I'm wanting you to hear as your pastor today. For example, for seven years they've been studying people in my role and in my vocation. In 2015, they began asking questions like this. Have you ever doubted your call? And in 2015, we learned that of those who doubted their call, 24% of pastors have doubted their calling, doubted that they had the capacity, the bandwidth, the wherewithal, the longevity to continue in this role, about a quarter of pastors at the time. That's 2015. In 2022, the number is 55% who have seriously doubted, am I cut out for this? Can I continue in this? Do I have whatever it takes? Because times have changed and there are different challenges. Do I have what it takes? And there are 55% of us who begin to ask those kinds of questions. Another data point, they begin to ask a little bit about, have you ever seriously considered leaving your place of ministry? Within the past year, have you thought seriously about leaving your ministry post, quitting your job, finding some other vocation with your skill set that you could somehow make use of in this life? And in uh, 2021, in January of 21. Think of where you were in January 21. You weren't in this room, were you? In January 2021, we learned that 29% of pastors had seriously considered leaving their church, walking away from their ministry within the past year, 29%. Nine months later in that same year, October of 2021, that number had jumped to 38%. In nine months, nine points. Five months after that, in March of 2022, just five months later, the number becomes 42%. Within the span of barely more than a year, the number of those pastors who have seriously considered leaving their church post within the past year jumped from 29% to 42%. And that's a last year data point. It continues to rise. And the last bit of information that I want you to understand is that they study burnout effects as well. And they study burnout in pastors at three different levels. Pastors who have a low chance of burnout, a medium risk chance of burnout, and a high risk chance of burnout. And if we just ignore those who are at low risk or medium risk of absolute burnout and only pay attention to those who are at high risk, in 2015, it was only 11%. That's not bad. 11%. Today, it's 40%. That's almost quadruple in seven years. Now, everybody knows this is a unique kind of job. And you deserve, as a congregation, a pastor to speak honestly with you about the conditions of living and loving and leading in times like this. And I got to tell you, it's always been a high pressure job. There's no surprise. 
But we've reached a level that some experts have referred to it as a five alarm fire. There's always been a kind of pressure in this role. These are the days when I'll miss my good friend Bill Self. Bill used to tell the truth about this stuff. Yeah. And in his book, The Stained or Surviving the Stained Glass Jungle, you remember what he said, that on most Sundays, the loneliest person in the sanctuary is often the pastor. Doesn't look that way, doesn't seem that way, but it is that way. And it's always been that way. The trouble is these past seven years have amplified the pressure cooker of the persons who do what we do. And some have said that pastors are now in a state of CPR. COVID-19, political division and racial conflict. Every pastor from the beginning of our, our Christian faith has known the uniqueness of this call. Rarely will you find anybody who is somehow expected to be an expert at every one of these different disciplines all in one body, but the last seven years have turned up the heat. And these aren't just cold numbers. These are friends of mine who I went through college with and seminary with, and we said yes to a thing. And when faced with what they believe is a binary, binary choice, I could either stay and keep doing what I'm doing, keep running this car with no oil in it and slowly die a slow death, or I can leave and be free and find some way to be alive in this world. Many of my dear friends have had to leave. And I just don't believe those are the only two options. Now, when we go through seasons of intense pressure, not just in church, but in your business, in your family, in whatever sphere in which you do life, experts in family systems theory tell us that during seasons of heightened anxiety, the goal is simple, stay connected Stay self-differentiated, which means stay connected to those who are near you, to God, to to yourself. But don't get too close and don't get too far away. Stay self-differentiated. Be in the system, but not of the system. But do you know what most of us do? We do one of two things. During seasons of amplified anxiety, we either run away, escape, Hide, crawl in a hole, find a cave to hide out in, and people are, where'd they so-and-so go? I don't know, hadn't seen them in a long time. Or you do the opposite, which is you move in and you fuse yourself and you enmesh yourself with the persons and the systems that you are here to love to the point where you self-erase and you begin to wear into your own body and into your own soul the very anxiety of the system itself. And that's me. Good or ill, like it or lump it, that's how I learned how to love people. When there's a fire, you move into it. You give everything you've got to it. And that sounds more noble than the person who chooses to escape and hide in the cave, but it's not. It's actually just as self-destructive. And I'm here to tell you, I'm tired. I'm not burned out yet but the check engine light is on. 
And the problem with running with a check engine light on for too long is that sooner or later you find yourself on the side of the road and somebody pulling you with a short rope and you're wearing out your brakes. And the trouble is the brakes are what keep you from running into things. The brakes are what keep you from running into the ditch. This past Lent was the simultaneously the most excruciating and transformational Lenten season I have ever experienced. Our friends in the Eastern Orthodox Church call Lent a season of bright sadness. Of bright sadness. Bright because you know resurrection's coming. But sadness because you can't get to resurrection until you look under the hood at all the things that have gone wrong, all the broken parts of you, all the places that have gone empty. You look at your own humanness, your own sin, your own sadness, your own patterns of self-destruction. And that's not an easy look under the hood. And I have come to a place where I recognize my beloved sisters and brothers. I am tired. And you say to yourself, well, gosh, that sounds like a, you don't look tired. Every Sunday you get up and you do the thing. And, and though the sermons could be shorter, they're still compelling. <laughs> they're provocative. I'm bringing you know, whatever I can bring and I'm leading with vision and hope. I have never been more optimistic about the future of this church than I am right this very moment. So how are you talking about you were tired? Well, because there is a difference between running out of gas and running out of oil. You, you, can, you can find some extra gas in a reserve tank. You can siphon some gas from other sources. Nobody here knows about siphoning gas, do you? In between paychecks when you have to siphon from one car just to get. And so on Sunday mornings we get up and we do the thing. And in the hallways we do the thing. And all the while you come to me some days with tears in your eyes and you say, how did you know? You spoke right to me. It's almost like you were eavesdropping over my life. It's like you were watching inside my head and my heart. And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I'm just telling you where I've been. Preaching is simply one hungry beggar showing other hungry beggars where to find some bread. I've been testifying for the last several weeks about what it looks like and feels like to need a savior when you are weary and existentially exhausted. Now, I've been in this conversation for hours and hours and hours with our pastor's council and with our pastors. We have the finest pastors on this staff I have ever had the privilege of working with. And we have a pastoral staff or a pastor's council who has been unspeakably supportive and encouraging with me. I've shared all of this and then some with them and I have asked for some rest because here is the trouble, brothers and sisters. I want to be your pastor for a long, long time. I... So I do, 
I want to live and love and humbly walk alongside you and serve our Lord together for as long as the Lord allows me to. For years and years. But you deserve a healthy pastor. You deserve a pastor who has the capacity to live out of a deep reserve rather than running on fumes. And I'm here to simply, transparently let you know I need rest. So I'm going to be working the rest of this week. And then with the full support of my pastor's council, my pastors, and this morning I was overwhelmed by our incredible deacons who are affirming a time of personal rest where I will be away from the duties of my ministry here until the end of July. And what will I be doing for these three months? I will be unhitching myself from the yoke of my ministry tasks so that I can rehitch myself to my Savior. And during this time, I will be worshiping privately, personally. I'll be focused on personal soul care, a time of personal renewal and revival. I will spend some time with mentors who have loved me and who can remind me of my original belovedness in Christ so that when I return to you, you've got the best version of me. Now, how will it work over the next few weeks? For the next three weeks, our pastors will be preaching. David will preach. Terry will preach. Robin will preach. It'll be a preach-off. It'll be great. <laughs> but then on the 21st of, of May, Dr. Greg DeLoach, who's the dean of the School of Theology at Mercer's McAfee School of Theology, will preach the remainder of the Sundays consistently until I return. Greg is a fantastic preacher, a theologian in his own right, and maybe most importantly to me, he is one of the best friends I have ever known. And you will be in good hands with Greg. All of the day-to-day -day decisions that must be made in our ministry will take place because our pastors work so well together. There is a plan in place for any pastoral crisis, any big decisions that need to be taking place. But there is one thing that I need to ask from you. I need to ask you to be you. To keep being JCBC, to keep connecting and forming and mobilizing and worshiping. The, the, the beautiful part of who you are as a church is that our church is not known by the name of the senior pastor. This church is not identified as Sean King's church. This church is identified because of our community who happens to value excellence in worship, authentic Christian community of theological depth and diversity, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the growth of his church, congregational courage, responsible Christian stewardship, and a missional consciousness where every member is mobilized to serve. My prayer is that you would engage those things we value with vigor these next three months and not let up. And while you're doing all those things, 
If you could pray for me, I'd appreciate it. Lift me and my family up in your prayers so that we make use of this time in a way that is redemptive, in a way that, that prepares me for the next era of our relationship as pastor and people. 